Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's me, Damien Barr, welcoming you back for another Salon Exclusive, where you get to be the very first people to hear about the books that we are most excited about. In this episode, we are once again showing our love for works and translation with a brand new title from indie publisher Pushkin Press. Now, if you don't know Pushkin, you probably do know At Night All Blood Is Black, which won the International Booker Prize. Well, they published that and it's a phenomenal book. And they're back at it again with this captivating debut entitled The Dinner Party, A Tragedy. And frankly, it's so easy to make dinner parties a tragedy. It's by award-winning writer and short story writer Sarah Gilmartin. So, what's it about? Every year, Kate Gleason's family get together for the anniversary of the death of her twin sister, Elaine. For those of us who know, and I think that's most of us, grief rarely remains relegated to the past, but has all these ways of manifesting unexpectedly in the present. So this story is told over the course of 20 years and it focuses on this one family in Ireland dealing with trauma. Here's Sarah telling us a little bit more about this powerful character-driven story. Hello, I'm Sarah Gilmartin and I'm delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon, an extract from my debut novel, Dinner Party, A Tragedy. The book is about a big, messy Irish farming family and the losses that divide and unite them over time. The main character is Kate Gleason, a woman in her 30s whose twin sister died when the girls were teenagers. Dinner Party looks at how the past informs the present, how loss and trauma in early life can affect growth later on, especially when we try to ignore where we come from or who we really are. The book is also about growing up Irish, the importance and impossibility of family and how despite everything, we can't help returning home. The extract I'm going to read for you now takes place on Christmas Day around the dinner table at the family farm in Carlo. Kate is home from her studies in Trinity College for the holidays, and so far the day has gone smoothly. Also featured in the scene are Kate's mother Bernadette, her two brothers Peter and Ray, and Ray's girlfriend Liz, who's meeting the family for the very first time. When the Michaelmas term ended, Kate took the bus home to Crenaven for the holidays. Seasonal preparations went better than expected and even a small pine tree with shiny needles was cut from the farm, brought to the house on the back of the tractor and placed in the good room. On Christmas Day, they had made it through dinner. The five of them sat around the solid oak table in the good room. No tears, no outrages, no fights. Her mother had so far resisted going over to the stereo, putting on the dreaded CD, skipping five tracks down to Lonely This Christmas and crying into some otherwise festive dish, as she had done every year since the accident. With burnt brandy still in the air and the big bowl of whipped cream going flat beside the elegant candles, they debated whether to cut the Christmas cake. Kate couldn't believe they were considering more food. Her stomach was bloated and heavy and now she would have to sit with the cramps, feeling every sprout as if it had been a stone. Well, I'm stuffed, said Liz. It was delicious, Mrs. Gleason. She tossed her long blonde hair over to one side like a pop star. Their mother smiled. You're very welcome, dear. She went on to tell Liz yet another story about some woman at bridge. Cancer, then a death, and another one, and then the cancer was back. Or it was a new cancer. Kate had lost track. 
Her mother had been talking all morning. Kate had literally heard the revving voice in her sleep and had opened her eyes to find her mother there in the room at the peach wardrobe, which was where she kept her special occasion clothes these days. Seriously, Mrs Gleeson, who was pretty good at anticipating the pauses for an amateur. This was one of the nicest dinners I've ever had. Oh, it was nothing, her mother smiled. Stop now. Poor Peter, at the head of the table, managed to keep his face neutral, though he had grown, prepared and cooked everything himself from scratch. Kate had helped him arrange the cheesy parcels for the starter, and she'd done the table just like Mammy wanted. Gold and white settings, not an inch of gaudy red. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you came down for Christmas, her mother said, her grey eyes flashing. I'm so glad you invited me, Liz drained her wine. Her mother gave a coquettish laugh. Stop, she said. It was like hanging around with friends who thought they didn't fancy each other. Seriously, said Liz, it was better than a hotel. Well, that was the clincher. Her mother practically leapt across the table in her bid to pat Liz's arm. You're a sweetheart, she said, beaming. Raymond has done very well for himself. I hope he knows that. Ray grunted but you could see he was pleased. I don't think I could manage cake, Liz said. Not yet. The rest of them nodded agreement. It was so nice to have a visitor at the table, they said. This was the way to do Christmas. They should have done it years ago. And Helen's visits didn't count. No one with a blood connection counted. Kate winked at Ray through the candles. Good old Ray, who had brought some shadow of ease back to Crenaven. He misunderstood her meaning and took a cracker, pointing it like a gun. He was wearing the light blue shirt with the little horse on the pocket that Liz had given him that morning and his face was flushed and happy. Go on so, Kate leant forward. Her mother turned sharply. Were these the show crackers? Not for pulling? To hell with that. She finished her wine, grabbed the end, gave a fine tug, but the crackers split open without a bang. A miniature scissors fell onto the table. Peter extracted the thin brown strip from the debris and snapped it in his fingers. Under the tree, Copernicus woke and yelped. You didn't even pull it, Kate. Her mother snatched the gold hat and rested it on top of her bob. She didn't pull it, Liz. No, said Liz. Handed it to him. She mouthed an apology to Kate as Mammy reached for her water. Her mother went back to telling them the endless story about her visits to the local hospice and how they weighed on her. She'd started going a few years ago and seemed to have forgotten that it was voluntary. Eventually, when the story was finished, Ray got the box of Penny's crackers from under the tree and there was pulling and shouting, the smoky smell of gunpowder, some jokes that Peter mistook for trivia and then a last minute turnaround on the cake where they all ganged up against her and decided it wasn't Christmas without a slice. You cut away, said Kate. I'll finish the clean-up and have some later with charades. Have some now, Peter said. Charades? Liz looked at Ray in horror, her dawky accent more pronounced. Like, really? Oh, yes, their mother said. We love a game of charades in this house. Will you have a small slice? Peter cracked the icing with the knife. Later, she said. There's nothing like charades at Christmas, said her mother. Kate had a sudden pang. Elaine in her candy cane pyjamas, acting out her favourite film, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. 
and Kate guessing the answer the moment she held up six fingers. The sprites started cramping in her stomach again. She took as many plates as she could carry and headed for the kitchen. Copernicus followed in his slow, limping way. As she rinsed the plates, Kate caught snippets of the conversation inside. Her mother talking about the bridge feud, Ray explaining the farm to Liz, and then Peter talking over him, explaining it better. They had five men full-time and the two temps who had come this morning before Mass. Because a farm doesn't stop for Christmas, she heard Peter say, with a tinge of something that wasn't just booze. Her brother oversaw everything at Crenaven, but she knew he wasn't happy with his lot, that he still dreamed of going back to San Diego. He tried to get that girl, that woman, whoever she was, to move to Carlo with her son, but she wouldn't, or she couldn't, leave America. And there hadn't been a sniff of anyone else since. Imagine keeping a hope like that alive for seven years. She didn't understand it. What was the point in teasing yourself? It was starting to ruin Peter, this other life he could no longer have or allow himself to have. His golden blonde hair had gone white at the sideburns and he'd become sour in the last year or so, a kind of gradual bitterness that had started with jibing at Ray about coming home more often and had developed now into a general dissatisfaction with anything either of them did for Mammy. Nothing seemed to be good enough. Perhaps he had just been here too long and was becoming like her. It was a mean thought, the kind of thought she'd grown accustomed to having the longer she lived in Dublin. Her first year in college hadn't been like that. She'd answered her mother's phone calls every evening, spent hours listening to her, trying to ease her sadness and worries, reassuring her that she'd be home on Friday evening, that she'd get the late bus back on Sunday or the early one from Carlow Town on Monday morning if Peter would drop her. That first year, Kate had been happy to come back to Crenaven every weekend. She'd been dreadfully homesick, a word that did not really cover it at all. Twinsick, Kate was still on her bad days, cripplingly twinsick. But then second year and friends and going out and alcohol, this last one had been a great discovery, the freedom of it, the blankness. Her relationship with her mother had changed enormously. She was less nervous of her and more exasperated by her by the fact she'd somehow managed to stay the same, even through her grief. How had she not been changed? Loss had split Kate open. It had halved her and halved her again. And yet her mother, through all her lamenting, seemed fundamentally the same. The house, meanwhile, had certainly changed. A grim, airless atmosphere hung about Crenaven, even now at Christmas. The kitchen never felt clean, like there was an invisible film on the surfaces. Her bedroom, though larger than the one in halls, seemed darker, more cramped. She was uneasy here, and it made her short-tempered, sniping at her mother, impatient with Peter, less willing to laugh at Ray's messing. She tried to keep away as much as possible, claiming all sorts of part-time jobs and study groups and imaginary exams in Dublin. She always did so well in the imaginary ones. The china serving plate slipped from her fingers and clattered on the draining board, a white chip flying onto the tiles. Copernicus went to sniff it and she shooed him away. She dried the plate quickly and put it back in the drawer. She was a lot tipsier than she'd felt at the table. The conversations from inside sounded distant and distorted. She longed for a snooze. Can I help? 
Liz came into the kitchen just as she was putting the last glass in the dishwasher. Your mum has gotten a bit sad, I'm afraid. I'm not really sure what to do. She looked forlornly at Kate with her cat-like eyes. From the good room, they heard the music. The bomb, 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 bomb of the baritone, the lonely strum of a guitar, and then the first line coming softly into the kitchen. Try to imagine a house that's not a home. That was from my debut novel, Dinner Party, A Tragedy. Thanks very much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the reading. What a note to end on, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. As I hope you out there listening, wherever you are, will discover with further reading, this novel perfectly captures the complexity of family relationships. And it's very small scale. It's like a beautiful miniature in lots of ways. Claire Chambers, who wrote Small Pleasures, said, Gilmartin is clearly a writer to watch and we can't wait to see more from her. The Dinner Party, A Tragedy, is published by Pushkin Press and available now in all good bookshops. Or you can grab a copy from our wee shop on bookshop.org. Please be sure to share our podcast with your fellow bibliophiles unless you're feeling selfish and grabby, in which case keep it to yourself. And if you've not already signed up to our newsletter, then please do subscribe for exclusive content and be the first in line for tickets to our events because we are back in the autumn. Watch this space for more news. And if you sign up for the newsletter, uh, we are going to be giving away a copy of the dinner party soon. As always, thank you for listening. We know how precious your time is. Please let us know what you think about our podcast and our salon. See you again soon and happy reading.